Chris Gowser here with Matt Howell. On this episode of The First to Run, Matt and I are going to discuss the Netflix blockbuster, at least per Netflix, Red Notice. Featuring three of today's biggest stars, Matt. Has a new action franchise been born, and is that a good thing? Then Apple TV Plus has their own premiere featuring America's dad, Tom Hanks, and a heartwarming tale about the apocalypse. It's Finch. There's the deliriously entertaining rundown of the big releases on physical media featuring your straight-to-DVD and streaming picks of the week. And then I think it's going to be Matt. It's one of your absolute favorite segments every year. I don't know why it is. I know it's every year you're like, oh, we're doing that again. Oh, I know what that means. That's right. It's our 2021 holiday gift guide for the movie lover in your life. Or maybe it's just you. Let's start everything off with a clip from Red Notice. Don't do that. I know what you're doing. Don't do I'm that. I know what you're doing. I'm not doing anything. Listen to me. These guys here, they find out. They find out you're a COP. This is a room full of I'm convicted gonna... murderers and toilet vodka enthusiasts. We gotta make sure that they know you're not a cop. Don't. Niet Polizia. Polizia. Guys, Niet Polizia. Not a cop. This man is not a cop. All right, get that through your thick skulls right now. He's a profiler for the FBI which does fall under the umbrella of law enforcement, but not a cop. It's similar, but it's not the same thing. It's a complicated backstory. All right, this is our, our good friend, Special Agent John Hartley. Let's give him a warm welcome to the prison, guys. Matt. Netflix has been excited about this one for quite a while. Not only do we have Ryan Reynolds, we have Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, we have Gal Gadot. Really, just three A-list stars right now. What are they doing in this film, Matt? What is Red Notice all about? So, Ryan Reynolds is the world's second greatest thief, and he is after something called Cleopatra's Eggs, of which there are three of them. He is caught in the attempt to get one, or at least uh, after he gets one, by... Dwayne Johnson leading Interpol as a, an FBI profiler. Dwayne Johnson is falsely accused by the first best thief in the world, Gal Gadot, a.k.a. the Bishop. And they have to team up to try and win their freedom, clear their names, or get the MacGuffin and uh, beat Gal Gadot at their own game. Man, that sounds exciting, especially with that kind of wattage. How could you not be entertained by this film? Man, mm-hmm. let me ask you, General, I've been thinking about this one. Is Ryan Reynolds' career harmed by being Ryan Reynolds? Like, I feel like now this is all he is. And I know he leans in heavy on his charm. And listen, folks, I struggle to think of a more charismatic star, really, than Ryan Reynolds at this point. Because he's affable. He's a nice guy. He's gorgeous. But I feel like it's just now he is, he's, he's in Al Pacino territory already. Right. And he's been that way for years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. So for Ryan Reynolds, for me, there's basically two modes for him, right? There is Van Wilder, Ryan Reynolds, which you see a lot of, and basically anything where he's not playing that. And I think when he can get away from that kind of snarky Van Wilder, like I'm super pretty and super charming, I'm going to be super sarcastic. He can, he's a lot of fun. But I think that shtick where he's kind of playing the guy from waiting over and over and over again is getting pretty old. Yeah. And, you know, and he is in one of my like favorite romantic comedies of the past like 20 years that I feel like not a lot of people are even familiar with. 
definitely maybe from 2008 is just a wonderful little film and he's a much more scaled back Ryan Reynolds and I think much more enjoyable than he's been when he's in this super coked up Ryan Reynolds that we get here in, in Red Notice, right? So this is the third team up of the director Russell Marshall Thurber with The Rock, with Dwayne Johnson. He had done, prior to this, Central Intelligence, he had done Skyscraper, which is just an abysmal film if you've seen it. And um, but the the crazy thing, Matt, is you know what his directorial debut was? No, Dod- dodgeball. Oh, really? Yeah. I like that film. As do I. <laughs> but I just this Matt for me is just an action film dumbed down to like the lowest common denominator. Really, this is content through and through. I guess this was supposed to be a theatrical release, maybe at some point. Universal okay. and Legendary had bid for it and they were going to push it out. I don't know if just Netflix came in, swooped in and just ended up buying it out from them or what happened or because of COVID, they switched it to a Netflix thing. I don't know. But this thing, Matt, is just this dull, cliched, by the numbers action film. Even the twists, of which there are many, feel obligatory and always around the corner. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you see what's coming, I think, Every time. What, what are your thoughts on Red Notice? Am I wrong? Is this just a lighthearted romp that every family could enjoy? No, I don't think you're wrong. I think you just have uh, refined tastes. Um, I think, sure. you know, you've, if you've seen people like us, and I think most people, to be quite honest with you, are really familiar with the language of film, right? They understand, they've seen it all before for the most part, and it's really hard to surprise people. I saw every twist of this coming as like like a step in a, in a formula. I was like, okay, this is going to happen. And then something like this is going to happen. And then we're going to end up here. And I think most of it was not surprising, unfortunately. I was going to ask you if this was something that Netflix bought that had been shelved or if it was something that they made for themselves. Um, because it really smacks of the latter. It just seems like it's... This is something that would get released during the first quarter doldrums and it would just kind of go along unnoticed, just kind of showing you no matter how big these quote unquote star wattage powers are. I mean, they, it only takes you so far because The Rock and, and Gal Gadot are even more boring than Reynolds is. Yeah. And man, her introduction in this film is, oof, I mean, it is bad. And almost the entire film, it plays out like that, too. And I don't understand how something like this happens. You have three of the world's biggest stars right now, right? How do you turn out this kind of by-the-numbers cliched film? How does that happen? How how can you have something this kind of dull and repetitive? It adds nothing to the genre. It's the same thing over and over again. Like I said, it just feels like more content. Like you said, Matt, just something else Netflix has got to churn out to get the viewership. Where is the artistry in this thing? I don't understand so how something I, like this can happen. Can I say something that is that is very controversial yet so brave at the same time? Please. I don't think that those three stars are particularly smart in their choices. And I think they, if you go back and look at their filmography, they make more mediocre to bad choices than they make good ones. And I don't think that they're particularly adept at finding a decent film. Yeah, Rock really has not been, made the best decisions for his career so far. He doesn't have that that franchise or that one big role where everybody remembers him, right? He doesn't have Schwarzenegger's Terminator. 
mm-hmm. he doesn't have something like that. And I don't know, maybe he, he seems to think Black Adam may be that role. Yeah. We'll see. But yeah, and of course Reynolds has Deadpool, but he, I mean, he's been Deadpool and everything. So right. I don't <laughs> I don't know. And Gadot, I'm sorry, has never really equated herself to be a fantastic actress. I mean, her first no. role in that Fast and Furious film was abysmal. And the Wonder Woman films... Though entertaining, particularly that first one, she's still not great. Do you remember that she was in some kind of spy film with like John Hamm and Ella Fisher? That she she was it was completely abysmal and forgettable as well. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I don't know. I'm going to try and avoid using the word abysmal going forward for the rest of the show. Uh, <laughs> so can I can I give you Joneses because some... uh, Galpinakis was in that as well. Yes. Okay, so can I give you some screen run feedback? Please. You say that's preposterous a lot, <laughs> to, especially <laughs> to, to what to what uh, Juan is is saying. I will have to I'll have to monitor that as well. Thank you. Yeah, you, you just get after ten years and who knows how many episodes and stuff. Yeah, five hundred eighty one with this one. I guess you do fall into a bit of a rut. I got to work on my uh, expanding my vocabulary. Thank mm. you. Thanks, Matt, for making me feel abysmal. Um, I just. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, a couple of good things out of this. Uh, Dwayne got his first twenty million dollar payday. Really, got he 20 got twenty mil million too. for this? Yeah. Wow. Yes, he did. Uh, I enjoyed the Beastie Boys score cue turn. I actually laughed out loud with that. So good for them for making me do that. Mm-hmm. I always enjoy a British Bake Off reference. It has one of my favorite tropes in this type of film where. The stars walk through the plan as they're describing it at the same time. And they kind of show you things going wrong or something like that. You know, and they kind of rewind and go through it again, that type of thing. I've always enjoyed that. Um, But I think that's all I can really say that is a positive for this thing. It's, I mean, I think my grade is actually higher than the way I'm talking about it. It's, It's slight. It's instantly forgettable. This is one of those, you know, Sunday afternoon and you're doing the laundry and this is what you have on in the background type films. Absolutely. So Netflix says they would need to have about 83 million households watch it within the first 28 days for it to be deemed a success. They say 200 million hours of viewership. And that opening weekend, according to what service you uh, subscribe to, be it Samba TV, they said about 4.2 million watched it. Uh, TV Time had it as the most streamed film that weekend in the United States. Uh, the other ones had it at the second most. So I don't know. It may end up hitting the points that Netflix needs it to make. Right. And another thing, too, that is very disconcerting for me, Matt, is that they set this up for a sequel big time. And mm-hmm. I think given the viewership numbers and the stars, I... I can't imagine how we're not going to get one unless, of course, Netflix balks at paying these three people like a combined, I don't know, $60, $70 million to come back for another film. Yeah, that's not happening. There's no way. There's no way. I'd be very surprised if if any of those principles come back. Did you hear anything about it that you enjoyed? I was able to yeah, take I think, off a couple um, of things. I did. I started to roll my eyes really hard with the the sabotage beat and then the, how they kind of flipped that. And I think that that kind of beginning scene, it reminded me, it's like a slightly toned down version of uh, 
the rocks character and the other guys so that's i thought mm. that was kind of funny as they were going through it but i think mostly i didn't think anything about it was really particularly good I, but at the same time i didn't think most of it was particularly bad either that's the thing it's very milk toast it's not yeah. very it's it's nothing special but it's not offensive either yeah i think that's fair i think that's probably how i would describe it as to why it's almost offensive as well <laughs> but yes <laughs> I ended up Matt giving a red notice a C minus, and you get a couple pops in me, and that could easily drop to a D. But I'm at a C minus right now. <laughs> yeah, uh, I gave it a C minus as well. It's not. I don't think it cracks into D territory, but it, it just doesn't have enough to elevate it anything higher either. No, it's just a the hacky work of bland thrills. I think basically, if you like thriller stuff, you like the cast in this. I guess there's enough for you to enjoy while you know you're prepping the kids' lunches for uh, Monday morning. I'm not sure what to tell you. If you had a chance to see Red Notice, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. You know, if it was more subversive, like it is when that Beastie Boys drop, that could have been something fun and different. But yeah. it's, it's not. It abandons that kind of attitude like right away. Anyway, all right. Coming up on physical media, let's keep rolling. I made no campaign promises because until a few weeks ago, I had no hope of being elected. <laughs> now, however, I have something more than a hope. And Jim Geddes, Jim Geddes has something less than a chance. <laughs> every straw vote, every independent poll shows that I'll be elected. The working man, the working man, and the slum child know they can expect my best efforts in their interests. The decent, ordinary citizens know that I'll do everything in my power to protect the underprivileged, the underpaid, and the underfed. That's right, folks. Criterion releases its second 4K disc. That'll be, I think, a trivia question in the future, Matt. What is Criterion's first 4K disc? Any idea what it was? No, I don't know, actually. Mulholland Drive. Oh, interesting. But now we're going to have Citizen Kane coming up. uh, 4K from Criterion. Three audio commentaries. One from 2021. Two from 2002. uh, One featuring uh, Peter Bogdanovich. And the other one featuring Roger Ebert. The Complete Citizen Kane, a 1991 rarely seen feature-length BBC documentary. A couple new interviews, a new video essay, a new program on the special effects on the film, and more. I am really looking forward to this 4K release. I do not own Citizen Kane uh, on any HD physical media. I only own it on DVD, so I'm very excited to finally pick this up. Also coming out from Shout Factory, a film called The Little Fish. A couple fights to hold their relationship together, Matt, as a memory loss virus spreads and threatens to erase the history of their love and courtship. Shout is also releasing The 800. From the acclaimed filmmaker behind Mr. Six comes a riveting war epic. In 1937, 800 Chinese soldiers fight under siege from a warehouse in the middle of the Shanghai battlefield, completely surrounded by the Japanese army. Shout Factor is also re- releasing The Show, written by Alan Moore. Yes, that Alan Moore. A man's search for stolen artifacts leads him to the haunted town filled with voodoo gangsters, masked adventurers, depression-era private eyes, 
and a violent Chirasakuro women. I don't know what Chia Chirasakuro makes sense. Includes a making of feature at Wellgo USA is releasing Raging Fire featuring Donnie Yen as Sean is a righteous cap or cop who is admired by the police force to have solved many cases, Matt. One day, his past comes back to haunt him when his sting operation is attacked by a mysterious group of criminals led by No Nuklase, his former protege. Lionsgate is releasing American Night, featuring Jonathan Reese Myers, Emil Hirsch, Paz Vega, Michael Madsen, Jeremy Piven, and Maria Grazia Cuncinauta, former Bond woman. A neo-noir set in the New York City's corrupt contemporary art world, where the art dealer John Kaplan and the ruthless head of a New York mafia Michael Rubino fight for money, art, power, and love. Lionsgate is also releasing Apache Junction. It's an old west outpost of lawlessness, Matt, a haven for thieves and cold-blooded killers. When a big city reporter, Annabelle Angel, arrives in town and becomes a target, notorious gunslinger Jericho Ford comes to her aid. Cartoon is also releasing Menace to Society in 4K. So I guess, how do you determine then if it's if Sissy Kane is their second disc. There's actually three Criterion UHDs. I guess I'll go in alphabetical order. Minutes to Society, 4K, Blu-ray, release on this one. They get a digit, excuse me, a restoration of the director's cut supervised by the cinematographer Lisa Renzel as well as co-director Albert Hughes. Uh, two audio commentaries from 1993 on the making of the film. A new conversation with Hughes as well as a screenwriter and film critic Elvis Mitchell. Uh, a couple other new conversations, uh, deleted scenes and more. And then, Matt, a film I enjoyed much more than you, I think. Uncut Gems is getting a 4K release from Criterion. It includes audio commentary from 2019, new interviews with the cinematographer, costume designer, and more documentaries, screen tests featuring Adam Sandler and Julia Fox, a 2020 short film by the Safties called Goldman vs. Silverman, and more. I bought this digitally for like six bucks back in the day because it had the short film here. That is not included with the original Blu-ray. But I guess now you get it as part of the UHD. Another 4K release, Matt, that I'm particularly excited about. And I may upgrade this because I absolutely adore this film. The 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Featuring Donald Sutherland and Jeff Goldblum. This is coming out in UHD with audio commentaries. And it does include a Blu-ray as well with a 4K restoration too. With a lot more featurettes. Would you, uh, do you have the 78 Body Snatchers, Matt, on Blu-ray? I don't have any of the the Body Snatchers um, on any physical media, but it is a really good film. It should be something that maybe you should have three, the three good ones? It's, yeah, I think out of the four, the only bad one is Invasion with Kidman mm-hmm. and uh, Daniel Craig. Yeah. Every other one of them is great. Arrow is releasing Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge in 4K. A guy called Eric owns a huge house, and some greedy people want to build a mall over it, so they get someone to burn down his house. Eric is badly burned, but not dead, and a year later, the mall opens. What they don't realize is that Eric is living underneath in the mall, and he is very angry. There are three versions of the film included, the original theatrical cut, a TV cut, and a bonus integral fan cut, which I'm assuming combines scenes from the TV version into theatrical. A 60-page fully illustrated booklet is included, a large fold-out double-sided poster as well, six postcard-sized lobby reproductions, and limited edition packaging. So if you want to get all that stuff, you need to get the uh, limited edition set. Disc 1 is a theatrical cut, brand new 2K restoration. Disc 2 is the TV and in, in, uh, integral fan cuts as well, both restored in 2K. Chat Factory is releasing Dracula Dead and Loving It. This is the Mel Brooks spoof featuring Leslie Nielsen. 
Warner Archive is releasing The Thin Man Goes Home. I think this is the last of The Thin Man films. So now they are all on Blu-ray from Warner Archive, I believe. I wonder if there's actually one more that's still not out. They're also releasing Lullaby of Broadway. One that that I'm excited about on Blu-ray, because I saw this at Walmart on DVD for like 15 bucks, and I almost picked it up, then I remembered that it's coming out on blue. And that's Rod Serling's Night Gallery. A new 2K restoration of the two-hour pilot and six episodes from the Interpositive. A bunch of new audio commentaries on each of the included episodes and more. Dark Force Entertainment is releasing Stingray. You get a director's cut of that, and it's a newly remastered version. MVD is releasing the Joe Don Baker epic Final Justice, which is, of course, is another Mystery Science Theater episode, and a pretty good one at that. And then the films of Woody Allen from 1994 through 2003. If you just want to feel gross and creepy, you can pick that up. Another 4K release, The Addams Family, is coming out. But Matt, you're straight to DVD pick of the week. I'm going with Chupa. Something in the woods, Matt, is feeding on people, bleeding them dry. What little evidence there is suggests it may be the work of the Chupacabra, a creature most believed to be little more than an urban legend. According to folklore, Chupa kills small livestock living off of their blood. But why has it started preying on people? To answer that question, a small federal military and civilian task force has been sent deep into Ohio's expansive Cuyahoga Valley National Park to find and capture the mythical monster. But it won't be taken without a fight, Matt. And as the hunters quickly become the hunted, they soon realize their chupa may be something else altogether. Something that feeds in secret has started feeding, Matt, on them. What should we be streaming this week? So I'm going to recommend a Netflix series. Um, it is an import from Korea that really kind of leans into, uh, you know, their their obsession with zombies. If you like some of the zombie movies that we've covered for this, this show from Korea, I think you're going to like it. It's called Kingdom. Um, it takes place in the Joseon dynasty period, um, which takes place in like the late 14th century to the mid 19th century so somewhere in the somewhere in there you know i don't want to necessarily say called medieval korea but it is something like that but basically um there's political intrigue uh palace kind of uh transpirings with the backdrop of a zombie apocalypse um in with no shotguns or anything like that they have swords and horses and it's actually pretty cool yeah i saw that i just have to add it to the list Add it to the list of stuff you'll never watch. That's it. All right, Matt. Do you want to t- spend a couple minutes to talk about the uh, Spider-Man f- never go home, never get home? No trail? way home. No way home? Yeah, sure. sure. Well, what are your thoughts? What did you think? I'm pretty stoked. So when they're doing the spell, you get another flash and that that kind of other world, that purple world that you see looks very similar to the evil Doctor Strange from what if spoiler alert so that kind of leans it even more into our possible theory that it's not dr strange but it's his evil multiverse counterpart and i think it's i mean you get to see the lizard you get to see jamie fox's electro the sandman that's all confirmed i think you get two versions of green goblin you get the defoe version and then you get the um I'm drawing a blank on the other guy's name. Dahan, I don't I know if it's Dane DeHane. I think that's because I don't think he's listed anywhere in the credits. And I don't. I saw a blow up of the of the shot of him on the glider from the latest mm-hmm. poster. Which again, what's a synonym for abysmal, Matt? I do not like <laughs> that new poster at all. Yeah, 
And uh, but I don't. And there's also rumors I saw today that some people are considering maybe a top goblin, and it could be a new character or an alternate version of somebody else. I don't know. I mean, because Franco's Franco's version of the goblin still wore the Defoe suit, right? That's true. And Dane Dane DeHane's the one from uh, the Mark Webb Spider Man. Right, it's from the Amazing, amazing. Spider Man. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think that's really cool. I think the idea that Peter is having is conflicted because Strange is telling him he's going to have to kill these villains, which happened in all the other Spider-Man movies, and he's struggling with that. I think is a good is an interesting way to kind of pull this around and make his Spider-Man different. But I think that this is basically confirming that we're going to get multiple versions of Spider-Man. We're going to get the Tobey Maguire. We're going to get Andrew Garfield version of Spider-Man in this. I think they just obviously, some of those shots are absolutely set up to have multiple Spider-Man in it. And I am here for it. I think this is going to be, this is going to be my favorite Marvel film of 2021 for sure. Well, okay. (laughs) Well, I mean, some people really love Shang-Chi. I I did, but yeah, I mean, I like Shang-Chi a lot. I thought it was very good, but I think Spider-Man is going to blow it out of the water. It may, but I got to tell you, man, I was underwhelmed by that trailer. Were you? Yeah, I, it just, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it felt like it revealed too much. I'm sure it didn't really, but it, I don't know. I just, there was something about it that kind of sapped a little bit of the excitement out of me for the film. So I'm no, I'm sure I'll still probably enjoy it, but there's something about it. I just felt like it was like, all right, well, that was okay. I mean, it, it also maybe too, because it was built up so much. Like I suppose they rented out a theater to th- show a trailer. Yeah. Someplace I... <sighs> We're really having like watch events for trailers now. I'm I know I'm getting dangerously close to get off my lawn status at the moment, but no, you're already there. I mean, you're already there when it comes to the MCU because you've made your your nerd bona fides way. Your allegiance is known sure. for your DCEU apologist, you know, stance and just your general complaining of it. Well, it's more I mean, like MCU yeah. is more show me to you. You're like you prove that you can still make me entertained, MCU. That's true. I mean, come on. Pierce Brosnan is Dr. Fate. How cool casting is that? <laughs> well, we'll see if it actually pays off. That's true. All right. Yeah, no, that was okay. I'm still excited to see the film. I know, Matt, I man, I hope it's good. I don't I feel bad for you if it's not good. It's, I'm sure it will be that. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Most Marvel movies, at the very least, they're entertaining. That's, yep. you know, that's all you can say. Can't say that about other franchises, unfortunately. <laughs> Which I, even I'm a big enough person to admit. Okay, let's keep rolling, Matt. Let's spend a few minutes and talk about Tom Hanks and the apocalypse in Finch. Okay, let her down. Good. I really enjoyed being a Jack. Oh, you, you do make a good Jack. You know, we, we should consider giving you a name. I would like that very much. Yeah, how about Jack? No, Jack is a tool's name. How about William Shakespeare? Will you call me William Shakespeare? That's taken. Wow, that sounds kind of dull. What is that all about? Does a Jack come to life and just hang out with Tom Hanks? No, folks. 
Finch is the latest film from Miguel Spanachik. He actually did the film Repo Men from 2010 featuring, uh, was it Jude Law and um, Forrest Whitaker? Mm-hmm. That I have not seen, but I've heard is not terribly good. Have you seen Repo Men? Uh, yeah, I have seen it. It's it's not great. Well, we got another shot here now. Now, he also directed a bunch of uh, Game of Thrones episodes. He does a lot of TV work. So for Apple TV, we have Finch. Tom Hanks plays the, not exactly the lone survivor, but the lone survivor of this one particular location. And he is struggling to get by, Matt. He's scavenging through the city, avoiding these terrible storms. Because there's been a solar flare, basically, that destroyed the ozone layer, right? So you can only be out in the uh, sun in the during the day for so long because of the uh, radiation. And eventually, uh, he has one companion, which is a pup. And the dog, he has to help protect and realizes that, you know what, things aren't looking good for him. And there's a big old storm coming that's going to last for a long time and they need to escape to another location. So he finalizes his robot. They go on a big road trip, avoiding lots of horrible things. And they kind of learn to become a family along the way. Matt, what are your thoughts on Finch? Are we kind of done with the post-apocalyptic world thing, or is this a new spin on that? What did you did you enjoy the Finch? Yeah, I don't think we're. I think it's too broad to say we're done with post-apocalyptic worlds. I think it's just a, it's a setting that's going to always be rife there, especially since you know we're seem to be moving there at a quick and pace every day. So it's becoming more of a tutorial than than anything else. But this one is uses the setting as a backdrop. It's not really about those things. And I don't know, this is more just a kind of a simple story of a man and his dog and his, you know, created child, basically. And it kind of goes for some emotional beats that it, it hits sometimes, but it's got a very strange feel. It's a very, very slow paced film. Yeah, this is not a roller coaster ride, Matt, at all. I think that's true. But I got to admit, I rather enjoy Finch. I think it works really well. And I think that's due to Tom Hanks and the film's immense heart. Just like you say, I think the relationship between our oddball trio, I think really works and is interesting and fascinating to watch. I think at times it may be a little handicapped by borrowing too much from previous media. I mean, we've seen the apocalypse before. We've seen scavenging. There's something lurking in the dark. What is that? People are bad too. And there's lots of things, you know, that we've kind of seen before. But I think why the film still works is because that's not the point. This is not about what's lurking in the dark, Matt. It's not the crushing weather storms. It's the journey that our trio takes. And really, in the end, it's the love that the man has for his pup and his new friend. And as they try and just survive and find greener pastures, if I may. So I think... It is very entertaining, and it's a it's a fun watch. And listen, I think it's just it's it's Hanks being Hanks, right? If you like Tom Hanks, if you like what he does, if you're a fan, then this is going to be right in the Hanks wheelhouse. This will go right on the reel. Next time you want to watch a, a re, an affirming kind of staple, you know what you're going to get, and you're going to feel good about a Tom Hanks movie. Then I think Finch belongs in that rotation. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's it's okay. Um, I think it is a very Tom Hanksy movie. It's kind of like a 
warm blanket type of post-apocalyptic movie if you can it's call it that to say, like, right yeah. yeah you know it's a warm blanket and a and some hot cocoa while you while the world ends around you um kind of thing i knew you were gonna like this just again to put in another screen run plug listening to the alien three episodes about your opinion on dogs that this guy would go through all this freaking trouble mm. just to keep it like literally create an artificial intelligent robot just to keep his dog alive is a nuts level of dedication if you really <laughs> think about it and i mean there are some leaps in logic in this thing but i think ultimately it's got a sweet core it's not that much of a downer. They don't really dwell on the kind of worst aspects of it. Overall, it's it's pretty successful. Although I can say for me, I don't know if it's something I'll be revisiting very often. If no, all. I think that's fair. I don't think I would, this is going to be high in the rewatch is either. I, I, I think that's true. I don't think there's any real groundbreaking work here, but I think it's very watchable. And mm. I agree with you, Matt, about my, thing about dogs as i've had a dog now over the last few years i am kind of hypersensitive about that stuff like i get really upset if a dog gets killed in a film so i imagine that must be like for parents when a child gets killed in a movie i mean that scene in dr sleep which really screw some parents up i don't know if that's how it works or not you would know better than i mm. but having that type of dedication for your dog i i get it i get it yeah i just i just always think it's funny when people are huge fans of action movies and horror movies where people are, you know, body counts are in the hundreds and then, you know, people are being tortured to death, but you don't have any, you, you enjoy that. Whereas like, you know, if a dog gets eaten or something, then like you're, it's the worst movie of all time. So I just, I just it's just weird to me. The, the lack of empathy for our own kind that we attribute to, you know, our four-legged friends. Well, dogs are innocent. People are horrible. I think is well, the, uh, I mean, your dog would eat you. I mean, let's let's if you died and was it was trapped in there, it would wait a few days, but it would eat your body. Great. Okay. <laughs> well, don't forget it. Don't ever forget it. it's still an animal. It may love you, but it doesn't have higher reasoning function at all. <laughs> Fine. Ah, happy holidays, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> this felt kind of like an elevated adult kind of classic Disney thriller to me. You know mm-hmm. those. Those classic films from like the 60s. I mean, not Cat from Outer Space, but uh, yeah, the more uh, other stuff. I, I just had that kind of family almost feel to it. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some pretty scary moments at times in this thing, but it's never over the top and it's never terrifying, right? It's all very measured and it's all very PG-13. But I don't know. Like I said, I enjoyed it. I ended up giving Finch a B, man. Yeah, I... I thought it was okay. I think it was just okay. I think it's very middle of the road. I think it's very telling that it's kind of went straight to a streaming service. So I'm going to give it a C. Ooh, okay. I guess that's okay. I'll, I'll let that go. We've got a chance to see Finch, which is currently streaming on Apple TV Plus. Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. All right, Matt. Well, you know how things go now. It's time to do our 2021. <laughs> movie lovers uh gift guide so i i apologize yet again this year i am not able to participate in this part of the section of the show i oh, gotta I, I gotta <laughs> i gotta take off so uh i hope i don't i hope you're all right with carrying this next part and um that's it i guess so everybody else take care matt enjoy the rest of the show all right and uh, i guess we'll talk to you soon okay thanks thanks 
Wow, I, this is hopefully the first year I get to do this by myself and Chris hasn't lined up any guests for me, but we'll see. Um, I'll keep my ear out to the ground to see if I hear anything coming. So, uh, excuse me, I'm getting a call. Let me answer that. Oh, it's you. Ho, 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 ho. Hey, Maddie, how you been? Well, you should know. You know everything, you creep. I don't, what the hell? <laughs> That's not, you Watching know, you there's still me. time. You want to screw this up, This well, there's still time. Fair enough. Welcome back, Santa, for another riveting installment of the Holiday Gift Guide. I'm, I'm, it sounds like you're not happy to see me. No, I'm super happy to see you, Santa. I think I just, I somehow block that you're coming to do this every year and it's always a bit of a surprise to me that you that you show up well out of 10 years now i think we've done it nine eight times well, and it's funny right. to me that you don't seem to remember every single well, time you know must that is noise i'm burning that down i mean sometimes they say you know cool. you stop paying attention to traumatic events you know you kind of compartmentalize those things mm, fine all right well i have a list of the uh five things people have asked us for for Christmas for movie fans. So I'll be sharing those here, Matt. But uh, here's one thing that didn't really... Uh, this is the sixth most popular thing. Zany won't move against you first. He'll set up a meeting with someone that you absolutely trust. Guaranteeing your safety. And at that meeting, you'll be assassinated. I like to drink wine more than I used to. Anyway, I'm drinking more. It's good for you, Bobby. I don't know. Your wife and children, are you happy with them? Very happy. That's good. I hope you don't mind the way I I keep going over this Bassini business. No, not at all. It's an old habit. I spend my life trying not to be careless. Women and children can be careless, but not men. Sure, Maddie. That is the uh, Godfather, of course. And that my the number six most popular item is the Godfather notebook uh, from Francis Ford Coppola, where it's filled with his own notes on the novel, as well as exclusive behind-the-scenes images. As they say, it will be an offer no gift recipient can refuse. Now, I'm not big on threats threats for Christmas, but <laughs> sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do. Indeed. So why don't you start us off there, Maddie? What is the uh, fifth thing a movie lover would like for you? I gotta work out the beats here. <laughs> so if you're the type of movie lover who has a roommate or a significant other, or maybe your kids are just annoyed that you're blasting your films at full volume while you watch your 75-inch 4K TV, um, this will allow you to kind of keep the experience alive for yourself, but not annoy the people that share a room or a house with you. So I'm going to recommend a pair of uh, wireless uh, surround sound headphones um, by Sennheiser, which is a good brand. The RS-175s, it has a station, a docking station that you put near towards your actual uh, TV. You know, it 
gives you kind of enclosed noise canceling surround sound system for you and you alone to enjoy. It's 193 right now at Amazon. You son of a bitch. <laughs> you think I would have known you were going to do that? You would think, since you know everything. So the number five most popular item that I've been notified that people want is what's called Watch Streaming the Cider Dice. So they have different things, like different genres, and uh, you basically you just roll the dice and it'll tell you basically what you're going to watch. You're going to watch a drama, an action movie, is it going to be the second or third one in the franchise, whatever the case may be. But if you can't figure out what you want to watch, yeah, roll the dice and it'll help you pick something out on your favorite streaming service. You can find that on Uncommon Goods and some other places. It's going to run you about 15 large, being dollars, not thousands. But still, I think, uh, yeah, that might be kind of fun, Matt. Wow, that's really, unfor I, I really wish we had gone over this list beforehand, Santa, <laughs> so we wouldn't uh, be stepping all over each other's. I guess one of the things that is interesting, I will digress a bit, is that for the past few years of doing this, a lot of the items have not changed. I mean, it's the same stuff. There's very little new stuff that's coming out, so that can be problematic for some of these lists, I guess, Santa, right? Yes, it can. Yes. Yes, it absolutely. It could be frustrating, <laughs> really. <laughs> All right, and well, I wouldn't I be surprised we'll... if you went back to some of our my prior appearances. You uh -huh. could hear things you've heard before. Oh, yeah. Well, that's very true. It's very true. All right. Well, my new number four now is um, a, is uh, a, an art book, a coffee table book with the art of uh, Mondo Films. So with the, the kind of redone posters for their releases. I wanted to bring this one up right now because right now it's actually, this hardcover book is half off on Amazon for $37. So if it's something that you think that you might want to purchase for someone else or for yourself, now's a good time to get it. Nice. Santa has the uh, Criterion book from years ago that is absolutely gorgeous. So I can see uh, why you would want to pick up that Mondo as well. So the number four most requested thing then is the personalized retro videotape print, which you can get on uh, Etsy from the Origami Fox. And it's basically just a print of a bunch of stacks, uh, a stack of VHS, VHS tapes. And then you just tell them what movie titles you want. And it looks like kind of like they're handwritten on there with like a Sharpie to kind of, you know, that retro feel. So you can do that. Now I know your host, Chris Scalzo, also has a t-shirt that's got a stacked up bunch of uh, John Carpenter VHS tapes of all his movies, mm. which I think that would be cooler to do if you could do that, but I think you got some licensing issues there. Right. We can get that on uh, from the Origami Fox on Etsy for about 17 bucks to start, depending on how big you go. Frame one. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I have, I've seen those before. It's something I've often considered about getting. I just don't know where I would put it, you know? Exactly. I have mm. about two dozen of them. I have a... Uh, different holiday movie stacks all the way around and then i kind of have my weird you know sleazy euro horror stuff in the man cave gotcha very good i'm glad well i mean mrs claus makes you put it out there right that's right um all right so my number three then is a mini projector from uh high safafa high safafa i guess um, $50 at Amazon. It's about the size of, it's very, it's, it's very, very portable, really only maybe a foot or so long, but it's a good way that if you want to set up a 1080p projection experience, you can project it on a wall, on the side of a building, hell on your ceiling, if you wanted to, while you're laying in bed uh, to kind of give you that big screen experience. Yeah. Uh, Santa has a, a whole home theater 
like a movie theater here at the North Pole. There's a lot of downtime. <laughs> Speaking of downtime, my uh, the number three most requested item from the kids is the Ticket Stub Diary. Now, this is a dying art, Matt. When you used to actually get a ticket stub and you didn't use your, your phone. Now, Santa still has a flip phone, so he still gets his ticket stubs. But they it's like a travel book or whatever the case may be, like a picture book, photo book. And you're able to stick your stubs all in there. One of the things Santa's going to do, too, is he has a stack of old ticket stubs from movies going back years. And he wants to kind of frame them all together and like hang that on the wall, too. You could always do that. But I like the idea of a ticket stub diary as well which you can pick up for about 15 bucks uh, on Amazon right now. There's a bunch of different styles, so you can go with what you like. That's very cool. Without, there's not a lot of variety in, in ticket stubs these days. A lot, of, a lot of people don't get them anymore, especially with like their AMC A-list a and stuff like that. No, you could, still, you could still print them out if they had the kiosks, but a lot of them have gotten rid of the kiosks as well, which is a little frustrating. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's what uh, Santa used to do. I would go up to the kiosk and then type in my code and then get the stub printed and then away I, I had a copy of it but right. uh, they got rid of the kiosks at my locals all right my number two we're at number two is the film festival in a box essentially starting at 18 dollars, you pick a theme whether that's horror dark comedies zombies and gromit will send you a box with uh, several short films that you can sit watch, critique, and kind of run a little, your own little film festival for you and your friends and your like-minded uh, people to enjoy. So $18 at the Gromit. I think it's a pretty cool little uh, idea. That sounds wonderful. And it's all short films? Yes. Fantastic. That sounds like a blast. So then uh, the other number two most popular item then is a book, Matt. It's called The Canon Film Guide, Volume 1, 1980 through 1984 by Austin Trunick. And it basically is just the background of the uh, Canon Studios, which is responsible for some of the craziest low-budget films of the 80s. When you think about 80s cinema, Canon is usually one of the first studios that will pop in your mind when it comes to the 80s aesthetic that people kind of think about what they think the 80s are. Uh, And the Canon book is fantastic. You can pick it up on Amazon right now. Hardcover for 45 bucks paperback for 35. Wow, that's really cool. All right, so my number one um, then is going to be on Society6 is the Minimalist Movie Poster Store. I think these are super cool. I think we mentioned them a few years ago, but they've continued to create more. They've continued to expand, and you can even get them printed on different items like uh, even an iPhone case if you wanted to. And I think there's a there's just dozens and dozens and dozens of really classic options that are just, uh, it's, it's a wealth of choice for any movie lover in your life. That sounds wonderful, Matt. So the number one most requested item from the kids these days that love the movies was your number five, you son of a bitch. The Sennheiser RS-175 RF wireless headphone system. Santa actually had the 165s, I believe it was, and which he's had for 10 years. And mm. they worked wonderfully. And they just crept out, as the kids say. And they didn't make replacement parts anymore, unfortunately, because it's so old. So we had to upgrade and buy the Sennheiser 175. You think Santa would get a little cheese? You think he'd get a little taste? But oh no, I still had to buy them. <laughs> and I got to tell you, they're not as comfortable as the prior ones. They aren't. No. But uh, they still work really well, and the range is solid. And uh, Santa wears them all the time because 
Mrs. Claus is not big on the, as we talked about, the sleazy Euro horror stuff. So <laughs> I have to kind of have the headphones on, just so she doesn't hear all the horrible, horrible things I'm watching. Did you have any honorable mentions? No. I mean, I think uh, there is a, a another film art book um, called Film Art from the Underground, which is kind of like gonzo film art that's really kind of abstract, which I thought was pretty cool. But yeah, other than that, I, I think the thing I want the most is those dice. I think the dice could be a lot of fun. Indeed. I would also throw in the Saul Bass book of film. Excuse me. A Life in Film and Design. Going to run you about 45 46 bucks. But Saul Bass is one of the greatest kind of, what a title creators in cinema history so you can pick up a book of all of his art as well which is uh gorgeous and a lot of fun to look at and definitely not abysmal <laughs> fantastic man well that was a lot of fun thanks so much for having me again i know you don't enjoy it but i'm sure other people do yeah you're right i'm just a humbug what can i say i look i look forward to seeing you in 364 more days mm -hmm. i'll be watching you <laughs> See? All Not creepy at all. <laughs> all the time. All the time. Matt, what do you have coming up next week on this show? What do we have coming up on next week on the show? So for sure, we are going to check out Ghostbusters Afterlife. The second, uh, because it is Thanksgiving week, is a little bit up in the air, but it's, um, we'll have to see. Stay tuned. It's a big surprise. That sounds wonderful. Of course it does. Well, thanks again for having me. Everybody, thanks for listening. It's always fun to stop in and check in on my third favorite film podcast. <laughs> kind of keep me busy while we're uh, making the toys and everything. Everybody have a great holiday. I will hopefully see you all soon. Madigan, thank you so much for having me. All right, we're going to close it out, man. Nice job. Guess who? It's your old friend, Lex. Luther, I suspect if you'd actually planted a bomb, you'd be miles away from here by now. This is my nephew, Lenny. He worships me. The dude of steel. Where are you gonna get it? <laughs>